0: One of my favorite movie scenes takes place in a Robert Duvall film from the 90s called The Apostle. Duvall plays a Southern Pentecostal holiness preacher named Sonny, who's gotten himself in a heap of trouble. His wife is leaving him and his church has been voted out from under him and not without reason. But he's not prepared to give up on his faith or his calling. So one night in his mama's attic, he has it out with God. Pacing the floor in a sweaty t-shirt, he talks to God, shouts at God, actually. I'm mad at you tonight, Lord. I'm confused. I love you, Lord, but I'm mad at you. What should I do, Lord? Tell me. And he pauses as if waiting for an answer. I know I'm a sinner, but, but I'm your servant. What should I do? I always call you Jesus. You always call me Sonny. Now, what should I do, Jesus? And again, he pauses, ear cocked heavenward. But the only sound to be heard is a dog barking in the distance. Now, things actually get worse from there, and Sonny ends up on the run, running from the law, but not running from the Lord. In fact, at every turn or fork in the road, he asks Jesus to guide him, to show him what to do, where to go. He steps off a bus in Nowhere, Louisiana, and asks the Lord, Should I go to the left or should I go to the right? Whithersoever thou leads me, I will follow. Now, full disclosure, the film has some rough stretches, so watch at your own discretion. But, But it vividly portrays one of the central features of the Christian faith, the idea that we can have a personal relationship with God. Christianity, as we understand it, Is not adherence to a creed or a code of conduct or a set of rituals. It's not a religion, we like to say. It's a relationship. But what do we mean by that exactly? Are we really on a first name basis with God like Sonny and Jesus? Are we allowed to talk to God that brazenly, to give him an earful and expect an answer? Should we be asking God if we should turn to the right or the left when we get off a bus? Does God even care? In our former church, there was a, a man named Ed who really struggled with this idea. He was an engineer by profession, very bright, a Navy man. His wife was a believer, and, and he came to church with her regularly. By his own profession, he believed in God, enjoyed studying the Bible. He liked the church, even volunteered. But one thing kept him from making a wholehearted commitment to Christ. He just couldn't buy the idea of a personal relationship with God. It drove him crazy when people used that expression, or when they reported that God had spoken to them, or that God had intervened in some trivial situation at work. Where do we get off thinking that God wants a personal relationship with us, he would say? And how is such a thing even possible? Where do we get this idea of a personal relationship with God? Does the Bible really teach it? Or is it just wishful thinking, a figment of our privatized, Americanized imagination? And if it is a real thing, how do I know if I have it? And what's prayer got to do with it? Well, these are the questions we're going to go after as we continue our journey through the biblical book of Exodus, a series we're calling Scenes from a With God Life. Now, that phrase, a with God life, is just another way of describing a personal relationship with God. So let's drop in once again on Moses and the people of Israel as they make their way out of Egypt through the wilderness and onto the promised land. Now, it's turning into a long and winding road, but we're going to focus on one scene today described in Exodus chapter 33, verses 7 through 23. Now, we'll take it in a few sections, but we'll begin with verses 7 through 11. Now, Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the Tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Well, at this point in their journey, the people are on the other side of Mount Sinai. They've they've received the Ten Commandments, and they've just begun their wandering journey toward the Promised Land. Now, this tent of meeting seems to have been a pretty simple, unassuming structure, a a sort of precursor to the tabernacle, which was a much more elaborate tent that the people would eventually erect and, and take with them throughout their wandering. And this is where it gets a little bit confusing because the tabernacle is described in detail in earlier chapters in Exodus. But here we are in chapter 3, and it obviously hasn't been built yet. So we've mentioned earlier that these first five books of the Bible were compiled over time from a variety of sources and traditions. So things don't always happen in chronological order. And as we pointed out, ancient storytellers weren't as hung up on precision and accuracy as we are, which is important to keep in mind whenever we're reading the scriptures. So this tent of meeting was a primitive tabernacle where God would make himself available to his people. Now, a couple things we should notice here. First, notice that this tent is outside the camp. In fact, verse 7 tells us it was some distance away. Now, the reason it's outside the camp is that in the ancient world, people wanted to keep a safe distance between themselves and the gods. The pagan gods were unpredictable and arbitrary. You never knew when they might break out in anger or boredom and, and, and throw down a few lightning bolts. So ancient temples were almost always outside the city. People could, could, could go pay a visit to the gods without having to deal with them on a day-to-day basis. And keep in mind, too, that, that the last time God came near, it was with thunder and fire on a smoking Mount Sinai, with stern warnings for the people to keep their distance. So, so at this point, even the Hebrews had reason for placing that tent outside the camp, some distance away. Another point of confusion is whether the tent was available to all the people or just to Moses. Now, now while while verse 7 says that that anyone could go out to the temple, the rest of the account suggests that that Moses alone would actually enter the tent on behalf of the watching people, and, and he would talk to God. Not just to God, but with God. Face to face, the text says, as one speaks to a friend. Wait, what? My friend Ed might say. A human being talking to Almighty God? Now that that face to face phrase was was probably just an idiom because we're going to be told later that, that no one can see God's face and live. But the idiom replied relationship, suggesting that God would communicate directly with Moses, not through visions or dreams or intuitions or angelic messengers, but but personally, intimately, even as one speaks to a friend. Now, think about what that word friend means. A friend is someone who enjoys your company, who likes having you in their life. A friend is someone you can reach out to anytime, knowing they'll always be ready to talk or listen. A friend is someone you can be yourself with on your worst day or your best day. It's someone you can laugh with, cry with, occasionally argue with. A friend is someone you can be apart from for a long time, but as soon as you get together, you pick up right where you left off. Is friendship like that really possible with God? We don't want to miss what a novel concept this was in the ancient world. As we've already pointed out, ancient people wanted as little as possible to do with the gods. Keep your head down was the basic idea. Don't do anything to call attention to yourself because you never knew what the gods might do to you. And for their part, the gods didn't really want anything to do with mortals either, other than to to keep them in their place or or to toy with them when they got bored. So the notion that Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, would would want to come down and interact with Moses on a personal level, engage in conversation with him, as with a friend, was a crazy idea in the ancient world. And it's still a crazy idea, Uh, not just for skeptics like Ed, but but even for many religious people. Several years ago, Karen and I went on an interfaith clergy trip to the Holy Land. So there were a variety of Christian and non-Christian faith traditions represented in the group. Now, it was our first trip to the Holy Land, so seeing all those sacred sites was Obviously, a fascinating experience. But almost as fascinating were the conversations we had on the bus with those spiritual leaders. I remember talking with a leader from from a different tradition, a man who was very obviously devoted to prayer, maybe more devoted than I was on a certain level. But when I asked him about it, it became very clear that for him, Prayer was not a conversation with God at all. I can still hear his words. There's nothing personal about it. When I asked him why he prayed then, he explained it was simply to remind himself of what he and his people have always believed. Certainly not because there was anyone listening. This idea that you can actually talk to God not just to God, but with God, was and is a distinctive feature of biblical faith. If you survey the dominant religious systems of the world, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, tribal religions, even some expressions of Judaism and Christianity, you won't find this idea of a personal God who comes near to people and wants to be in relationship with individuals let alone a relationship so intimate and personal that a sweaty, sinful preacher could raise his voice and say to the Almighty, I always call you Jesus, you always call me Sonny. But Moses is just one of many characters we meet in the Scripture, men and women, Old Testament and New, who enter into conversation with God. It begins all the way back in the Garden of Eden when God comes looking for the man and the woman. Where art thou, he says. And they respond with some lame excuses and finger pointing. Generations later, a woman named Sarah overhears a word from God that she and Abraham will have a son in her old age. She finds the idea preposterous and laughs inwardly about it. But the Lord hears her, Scripture says, and and asks, why did you laugh? I didn't laugh, Sarah retorts, did too, says the Lord. It's almost comical, the personal, everyday nature of the conversation. David talks to God, sings to God, complains to God, confesses to God, and wonders sometimes if God is even there. A young virgin is told that she's going to have a child. So she asks the obvious question, how will this be? Jesus talks to his father on a regular basis and tells his followers to do likewise. Go into your room, he says, and close the door and talk to your father who is unseen. And the Apostle Paul prays in just about every letter he writes. And he invites us to do the same. In everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So we're learning from this scene what we learn from so many scenes in the Scripture, that God actually desires a personal relationship with us, a relationship that thrives on and is sustained by conversation. And it wasn't long before this tent of meeting became a full-blown tabernacle at the very center of the camp, making God present and accessible to all the people all the time. But even that wasn't close enough. So centuries later, God himself came down and tabernacled among us in the person of his son, Jesus of Nazareth. So, At this point, it's worth pausing for a moment to ask if if you have this kind of relationship with God. Do you feel free to talk to God anywhere, anytime, about anything? Do you have a tent of meeting, a place or two or three you go to on a regular basis to spend time with God as you might with a friend? As you make your way through the course of the day, do you ever pause to ask, which way should I go, Lord, this way or that? Do you ever turn your ear toward heaven and wait for God to speak? It's a remarkable scene we have here. Moses and God sitting under a tent, talking face to face, like a couple of bros on a camping trip. What did they talk about? What was the nature of their interaction? In the following verses, we get to sit outside the tent and and listen in on their conversation. We'll pick it up at verse 7. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The first thing that strikes me about this conversation is how honest it is. I mean, this isn't, now I lay me down to sleep, or uh, please bless the missionaries. This prayer is, Lord, I don't get it. Moses is frustrated and confused. You're asking a lot of me, Lord, but you haven't told me exactly what's going on and what I can count on from you. It's not quite like Sonny shouting at the Almighty, but it's coming straight from Moses' heart. He's being honest with himself and with God. Now, we need a little bit of background here. Uh, This conversation takes place not long after the ugly incident with the golden calf. Uh, Maybe you'll remember, while, while Moses was up on the mountain receiving those ten words from God, the people got it into their heads that they needed another God to sustain them in Moses' absence. So, at Aaron's direction, they melted down their gold jewelry and fashioned it into a golden calf at which they proceeded to worship with eating, dancing, and other forms of revelry. Well, God was so angry with them at that point. He told Moses he was done with them. They could go on up to the promised land if they wanted, but he wasn't going with them. So after a little cooling off period, Moses approaches God again and asks God what his intentions are. And by the way, Yahweh, don't forget the covenant you've made with these people. It's pretty bold on Moses' part, pretty honest. And God doesn't rebuke Moses for his honesty or his directness. In fact, God replies quite reasonably, as if he's been moved by Moses' plea. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. So apparently, the Lord welcomes our honest prayers, respects them even. We're allowed to tell God when we're confused or disappointed or even angry. In fact, God would rather hear what's really going on with us than to hear a lot of pious cliches offered without much thought. So God responds to Moses by announcing that that he'll go with him and give him rest in the land. But Moses isn't really satisfied with the answer. Because when God said, my presence will go with you, the you was singular. As in, I'll go with you, Moses, but not the rest of that motley crew. So Moses pushes back, challenging, even questioning God. Verse 15. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Moses is searching God out here trying to discern what kind of God Yahweh is, what Yahweh's purposes are, what distinguishes Yahweh from all the other gods. Is he capricious and arbitrary like they are? Or is Yahweh faithful and trustworthy? Now, this this isn't the first time Moses has done this, probed Yahweh's nature and ways. And it's not the only time in Scripture we find someone searching God out like this. How about Jonah, sitting under the shade tree, struggling with God's grace toward the Ninevites? I knew you'd forgive them, Lord. You're always doing stuff like that. How about Martha, the sister of Lazarus, falling at Jesus' feet and protesting If only you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. How about Jesus falling on his face in Gethsemane and asking, Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me. Apparently, we're allowed to struggle with God in prayer. To search our own hearts and God's heart. To discern what's really happening with us and God and with those that we love. Not every conversation we have with God is about ourselves. Moses is actually praying for his people here. Interceding, we call it. It's not enough to know you're with me, Yahweh. I want to know if you're with us. Moses is so intent on a with God life for himself and his people that if Yahweh doesn't go with them to the promised land, He'd rather not go. And and by the way, this is the one of the things that that spiritual leaders do. They intercede for people in prayer. They they bring them before the throne of God and invite God to be present and active in their lives. You, You might like to know that every Sunday afternoon, some of our elders gather by Zoom to pray for the congregation. In fact, we just finished praying name by name through the entire church membership, bringing some 1,800 of you before the Lord in prayer. And this past Monday in our staff chapel, we spent our entire time praying through the various ministries and events of the church one by one. It's what parents do for their children and grandchildren. It's it's what small group members do for one another. It's what believers in one part of the world do for their brothers and sisters in another part of the world. We intercede for one another. And often those prayers are searching kinds of prayers. What are you up to, Lord, in this person's life? How will you bring something good out of this trial or tragedy? What part might you have me play in this story? Searching prayers. Well, once again, Yahweh honors Moses' honest and searching prayer. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you and know you. By name. In other words, I hear you, Moses, and I want what you want to be with you and with my people. I'm so glad we had this conversation, Moses, and got this all straightened out. Ah, but Moses isn't done yet, he wants more. Verse 18, then Moses said, show me your glory. After all they've been through together, all that he has seen God do, Moses still wants more, more knowledge of God, more presence with God for himself and his people. And the truth is, this has been Moses' prayer from the very beginning. From that very first first conversation, when he he said to whoever was speaking to him from the burning brush, tell me your name. And from that moment on, Moses always called him Yahweh. And Yahweh always called him Moses. It was the beginning of a lifelong conversation between the two of them conversation that would go on for the next 40 years as they made their way through the wilderness together. A conversation that would carry Moses right to the top of Mount Nebo and to his final days on this earth. As crazy as it sounds, to my friend Ed and to many other people, you really can have a personal relationship with God. And that relationship thrives on honest, searching, lifelong conversation. And, and that's our takeaway from this scene. A with God life thrives on honest, searching, lifelong conversation. Because there's always more to be learned more to be shared, more to be experienced in relationship with God. And we access that more through prayer. Now, we've been talking a lot this fall about the discipleship planning tool that we've just rolled out. It's a simple online survey that that will provide you with a personalized discipleship journey for this year based on how you'd like to grow spiritually in the days to come. It's based on seven spiritual practices and and provides you with some ideas and resources to help you grow in each of those practices. Now, interestingly, so far, the number one practice people want to grow in is prayer, which we've defined as talking and listening to God. 62% of you, in fact, named prayer as a a primary area of interest for you, which is really exciting given what we're learning from Moses today. But it gets even more interesting. The second most selected practice was Scripture, reading and applying the Bible to life. Third was meditation, silence, and reflection. And fourth was searching, Investigating and wrestling with faith. What I find interesting is that all four of these practices are in play when it comes to conversation with God. Talking, reading, reflecting, and searching. Now, I was one of the 62% who chose prayer. So I've been checking out some of the podcasts that we have listed there, and, and I'm taking some of the suggested steps to reinvigorate my prayer life. One of those steps is to use a template that, that I've shared with you before, I think, that, that helps me to interact personally with whatever, uh, whatever scripture or devotion I happen to be reading that morning. After reading the text a few times, and giving myself a few minutes to think about it, I write out a short prayer following three simple prompts. Thank you, Lord. And I write a sentence or two of praise or thanksgiving for for something I read about that morning. Forgive me, Lord. And I write a sentence or two confessing some struggle or failure in regard to whatever I read. And then, help me, Lord, asking God for strength or guidance to put into practice something I read about that day. Thank you, Lord. Forgive me, Lord, and help me, Lord. Now, I'm not typically pacing the floor and hollering at heaven, usually, I'm just sitting on the couch putting my thoughts into words, writing them in my prayer journal. But it's helping me to begin each day with an honest and sometimes searching conversation with God. So let me encourage you to to check out that discipleship planning tool if you haven't done it yet. And then take advantage of some of the resources that we've provided for you there. You can find it all at grace.org slash thejourney. Well, we're we're going to put this into practice in just a moment as we close. But, But before we do, let me come back to the question we raised at the beginning of the message. Where do we get this idea of a personal relationship with God? And how is such a thing even possible? As we learned this morning, we get the idea straight from Scripture where from beginning to end we find scenes like this one, a man or a woman talking to God face to face as one would speak to a friend. And it's a relationship that's made possible through faith in Jesus Christ, whose life, death, and resurrection turns us from enemies of God into friends, a God who promises to to be with us all the days of our lives. If you have not yet discovered this kind of relationship with God, we'd love to tell you more about it. Uh, you can join us for the Alpha course online or in person on Thursday evenings this fall, or, or, or reach out to me personally, Brian@grace.org. But as we close, let's, let's practice that simple three-part prayer I mentioned a moment ago. I'll pray into each of the three prompts, Uh, but then I'll allow some silence after each one for you to talk to God from your own heart and in your own words. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the freedom to talk to you honestly and personally about whatever is on our hearts today. Forgive us, Lord, for whatever has come between you and us this past week. Help us, Lord, to take whatever step you might be inviting us into as we journey with you. And may we see more of your glory, Yahweh, in our lives, in our church, and in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.